Hey y'all, this is Culture Soup, where tech, culture, and business collide. It's a podcast that spoons up everything hot from social media. I'm your host, L. Michelle Smith, and each episode, we bring you some of the most notable and not yet notable thought leaders in tech, business, and culture. The year was 2015, and it was the last complete year that I'd spend on Facebook before dumping it in 2016. And it was St. Patrick's Day. And I was trying to find a really creative way to celebrate the day, or at least, you know, acknowledge it, because I'm not a huge St. Patty's Day fan. But there's a little story in my family that's absolutely true that I shared. And it was that I'd say, don't pinch me. I'm just a little bit Irish. And that's because a woman on my mother's side of the family married a black man out of love. And it was a white woman. Go figure. Neither one of them were in slavery. And this was in the late 1800s, early 1900s in the segregated South. These stories actually do exist. And yes, you have to believe that they were up against a lot, but they're the exception. I opened today's episode like this for a very good reason. If you pick up No Thanks, Seven Ways to Say, I'll Just Include Myself, the remix, you'll find not only two bonus chapters and more coaching, more insights, more data, more research, more affirmations, but you'll also find the story of the white woman's role on the plantation and how it plays into what happens today in corporate America. In fact, I mention one of my dear friends, Shannon Lanier, who's the sixth great-grandson of President Thomas Jefferson and his slave, Sally Hemings. If you know anything about the story, She was about 15 years old when all of this started. Well, they had kids. And you'll see throughout accounts that often this relationship has been romanticized. And in other situations, you'll find that people really have an issue with this because Sally Hemings was a slave. Her very presence in the situation to begin with, was not of her choice or will. We'll get into that a little bit more, but we delve into the dynamics between white women on the plantation and black women on the plantation. And ultimately in this book, we discover and unravel through an empathetic exploration the dynamic that is troubled and has been troubled between Black women and white women here in the U.S. and now in corporate America, generations later. Now, you may be saying, well, I'm a white woman and I don't have these problems. You may not have it. Thank goodness. We're talking about progress in this episode as well. And There is some data that I collected from some research that I did that I talk about in this book that uncovers that, yes, there are allies out there that get it. 
But unfortunately, there are a lot of people out there that do not. And they've decided they have nothing to do with what happened on a plantation so long ago. And they don't want to be blamed for racism today. Well, today we unravel things and peel back that onion with my friend, Shannon Lanier, the sixth great-grandson of Thomas Jefferson and his slave, Sally Hemings. Let's get it. Everybody, I'm so excited that I have Shannon Lanier, my brother, on with me tonight. He is a television news journalist. I know him from NABJ. He's also my brother from A5A. Yay! (laughs) But he's here to talk to me about something that's very exciting and special that has taken him along a journey. And you want to tell us what that is? You got some famous relatives. Oh, goodness. Well, the journey has been a long one. It's been an exciting one and challenging one all at the same time. So I am the sixth great-grandson of President Thomas Jefferson and the woman he enslaved, Sally Hemings. And that is a story I've known my entire life. But once the family was on the Oprah Winfrey show and the DNA results came out, and then I co-authored a book with Jane Feldman and Random House on the whole story. It's called Jefferson's Children, the story of one American family. That's when everything changed. That's Mm. when, you know, it was just a whirlwind of interviews and uh, just basically acting as a catalyst to get the story out there to make sure people knew about my story, but also their own stories and get more people to research their families, to find out about who they are, where they come from, and hopefully where they're going. Yeah. And I want people to recognize the language that you use, and we'll revisit this a little bit later, but he said, sixth great grandson of President Thomas Jefferson and the woman he enslaved, Sally Hemming. Yeah. With an S. <laughs> yeah. So um, that's real important because, you know, um, I teed the show up in a certain way around my book. And this is why you even come up in the book because of that relationship. And it sets the, the tone for uh, the topic that we're talking about in the book um, here in corporate America centuries later. So before we get going, Shannon, what do you say we have a culture suit moment? Okay, let's do it. Awesome. (laughs) Okay, so I'm always combing the feeds. And of course, it is so in your face. We are in another civil rights movement. That's what people are writing. That's what people are saying. It's in the media. And we're seeing it with our own eyes. Beginning last year, we saw... Thousands upon thousands, millions of people marching and hitting the streets in response to what happened with George Floyd. And I heard on CNN someone say, you know, even Dr. King didn't have that many people hit the streets in March, which is amazing to even think about. But um, things have changed, but things kind of haven't changed. What's your perspective as the sixth great grandson of Thomas Jefferson and his enslaved, you know, um, person, Sally Hemings. Um, You have a platform around unity and diversity and inclusion. What, What do you think about everything that's going on right now? Well, one of the things that makes this fight different is that we have more allies, that we are joining forces together because people are starting to realize the truth that this is not a black issue. This is not something the black community needs to solve. This is a global 
pandemic. You might as well say we got two pandemics. We're yeah, fighting. we do. This is a global issue. and It is going to take all of us to end the racism, discrimination, the inequalities that we're facing in this world, because it's not just up to the black community. The black community didn't create it. The black community can't be and shouldn't be the only ones that have to stop it. Yeah. And it's really going to take all of us to continue fighting and for all of us to have some empathy some understanding, some patience, some time to really digest and educate ourselves. A lot of the stupid stuff that happens in the world is because people are not educated enough on different cultures, on different people, on different communities, and how to handle those situations. So I think if we can educate ourselves and have a little understanding in our heart, then we could probably go a lot further and we can try to come to a more equal ground one day. Yeah. Well, And you bring up a really good point. We have to educate ourselves because even though you and I, we were born in this century, and it Mm -hmm. may seem like so much is so far removed from us, going all the way back to Thomas Jefferson and Sally Hemings, it would be very easy for someone to say, what's that have to do with me? But Mm -hmm. as Black people, we see the connection all the way back to the plantation. There may be some other folks that don't. And perhaps... Educating yourself might help to understand that we still live with some of the demons from back mm. then right now. What do you say? Yeah, I think there's still it's a systemic problem that has crept up and it's affecting us in more ways than one. When you think about the separation of the black family, that's started back in slavery. When you think about people trying to divide the black community and put us against each other, started back in slavery. I mean, there's so many things that can resort back to that, that there's still struggles that we're dealing with today. And even with the way we're perceived in some communities where we have to keep them in their place, so how dare they think that they can advance or be have more power than me or more authority or anything like that. There's this... Uh, the privilege that we talk about a lot, mm-hmm. the white privilege that I know has been one of those buzzwords lately. Well, that started then as well. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of things that are being carried over from that period or that era that are still plaguing us today. And, you know, it's going to really take a mindset change to be able to come to grips and change that. And it may not be our generation. It may have to be our kids or grandkids generation. So unfortunately has to unfold because we have to really change people's thinking. And yes. people have been living a certain way for 50, 60 years or whatever it may be, it's going to be hard for them to turn that, that click off yeah. and really switch their thinking. They can catch it. They can learn, they can understand, but sometimes it it reverts back. They just have to catch themselves, which is okay. As long as you're willing to be able to think about it, to catch it, to switch it. I have uh, a cousin we write about in the book, Dan Hemmings, and he was raised around very racist people. Everybody from people who had Confederate flags tattooed on their bodies. And he met his wife, Mary, and she helped him change his way of thinking and say, I'm not raising my kids to be racist and I'm not about to live in a house with a racist. So mm-hmm. we're going to have to fix this and break this cycle of racism because no child is born a racist it's something that has to be taught to them. Yeah. So that cycle can be broken, but we have to stop and we have to start breaking it. Yeah. And it's interesting because um, we don't really understand how some of these attitudes and mindsets have been passed generation over generation, even mm-hmm. in unspoken ways. But before we get into that, let's talk about your story. How did you first come to realize that you were part of this famous family tree? 
Well, it was something that was passed down to me ever since I was a kid. My mother, uh, Priscilla Lanier, shout out to mama. Shout out, she, mama. <laughs> she passed it down to my brother, Sean, and I ever since we were little and always told us that we are the descendants and that we, you know, come from Thomas Jefferson and Sally Hemings. And she told the story. So it was just one of those things that we just, you know, kind of almost took for granted in the family. Like, okay, we got it. Just like, you know, who yeah. your grandparents are. I know who my grandparents yeah. are. Uh, I mean, you know. It just was one of those things, matter of fact type of things. It wasn't really until it really blew up in the social media world and on television and Oprah that really people started to pay more attention. And they're like, oh, okay. Well, this is. And, and also when we got older, you know, when I got older and it was like, oh, okay, I see what the impact of, of this relationship, or if you would call it that, is. We yeah. see what, why this story is important and why it's important that I know the story. Um, and also when I got older, I started to realize how hypocritical Jefferson was, mm-hmm. you know, before I was like, Oh, the president's my granddaddy. That's cool. But it's like, well, this hypocrite, yeah. two faced it. Look, there's <laughs> so many words we can use to describe. Yes. But, uh, and you know, it's just so disappointing when you are a kid and then you grow up and learn about, you know, slavery. That's why I try to teach my kids now. Like this was a flawed man. Don't be, you know, uh, I guess don't believe the hype that, you know, people try to make him this icon and this, you know, the big statue life and all that stuff. Like he was a very hypocritical man that did many bad things. And yes, he did some good things as well, but he could have done more to end slavery. And he was too much of a coward to do it and just like the economic dollar too much to do it. He could have done so much more. And maybe some of the issues we have today would not have still being an issue for so long because it would have ended sooner. That's interesting. So when you were told the story, I take it that your mom didn't glamorize it. It didn't sound like she glamorized it. And we have people today that we're still having to say, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. She was 15. (laughs) She was enslaved. Sally was not doing this of her own volition. Um, How was it told to you so that you had a better image of what happened on the plantation you know i i think my mother skipped the whole love or rape situation Mm -hmm. and she just said they had kids you know okay we we were learning as children you know what i mean and even with my children you know i try not to sugarcoat it too much i definitely don't go with the whole love story scenario but and you know I think people forget that it's hard sometimes for, it was for the older generation. It was hard for them to even talk about this and the shame and the guilt and the embarrassment that came with some of the relationship aspects that you could not say that you had a father to this child. So a lot of times for them, it wasn't, uh, it was just, that they were ashamed of some of the, the relationship that they had. And they didn't want to say that their great, 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 great grandmother was raped for 38 years. So For some people, it was a a coping mechanism to almost, and especially for a lot of people that were like historians or people that were Jeffersonians, you know, it was a lot easier for them to say, oh, it was a love relationship. That's what made it so different from other slave-slave master relationships. Well, she, as you mentioned, was a slave. She did not have a chance to say what she wanted or did not want because regardless of how she felt, she was owned property. He owned her physical body and could do what he wanted to that body at any moment in time that he mm. chose to. Now, whether that was their setup, I was not there. I don't know. I don't know. But the mindset of someone who is 
property is they don't have a choice. They don't have a right to say no because it's going to happen anyway. Now, what she could have done is said, hey, this is going to happen either way. So I might as well go along with it and try to get out of it what I can get out of it, which was the freedom for all of her children at the age of 21. They were uh, trained with trades and they had skills to survive once they left the plantation. And those were the only people that Jefferson ever freed at the age of 21. So that, again, points to the fact that of the paternity of him. And she came back from Paris with him on that agreement. And he chose to, um, you know, agree to do that. So, wow, you know, it's just, you know, so much. Yeah. But, you know, I don't think my mom necessarily sugarcoated. I think she just left out parts. And I try to meet a balance with my kids and try to explain to them. They know what slavery is. They know what, that she was on property. They know it's not a good thing. They know it's not a, you know, a good situation to be in. And they know that people are still enslaved today. You know, I kind of use that sometimes to scare them. Like, if you won't be a slave, you better stay with mommy and daddy. <laughs> I will kidnap you and you will live in the basement. Oh, no. <laughs> You and your kids. You better stay and listen. That's what we say. Cause you know, like they like to run off. And be like, didn't I say stay with me? So yeah, you don't want to be a slave. There's still a lot of children enslaved today. Yeah, so and you guys, you can follow Shannon and his antics with his kids <laughs> on Instagram at Daddy Duty three sixty five. It's hysterical. He he does. Yeah, and I, um, time to I'm time. on the. I'm, I'm on the platform as Mr. Shannon Lanier, also on all social media platforms, TikToking around the clock, and you know. Yes. <laughs> So you did some work with Ancestry, and the reason why I mentioned them is because one of my friends, Dr. Henry Louis Gates Jr., who's been on this show, people call him Skip, and um, they some people remember him from the famous Beer Summit that happened on the front lawn of the White House with President Obama and the officer that arrested him for breaking into his own home, quote-unquote. Okay, so anyway, Dr. Gates has a saying, and I love it. And he says the human genome makes us all the same. Mm. And it does. What have you learned along this journey to prove that out? I just look at people, just talk to people. We're more alike than we are different. You know, people a lot of times don't realize that they get stuck at at the outer shell and think, oh, we're so different. But even when we talk to the DNA doctor who did the study on what uh, is the makeup, he said, you know, genetically, we are more alike than we are different. And with, you know, small little pieces here and there, they change our pigmentation and stuff like that. We are a lot more alike than we are different. And, um, you know, you just talk to people, you'll find that out. You know, a lot of people don't even talk to their neighbors. You know what I mean? Yeah. And if you talk to your neighbor, talk to your friends, talk to your people at work, you'll find out that you have a lot in common. You like the same things. You go to the same places. And there's so much that we can learn from each other that people just need to, you know, be open, be open to learning and meeting people. Well, and sometimes that, that we are more alike than we are not thing comes and slaps us in the face. Smithsonian came down and did a story on you. And they also took a picture. And look, my parents haven't met you yet, and I had to share it with them. I was like, look at this picture. Side by side, my friend Shannon, six generations plus away from Thomas Jefferson, and here's Thomas Jefferson. How did that startle you? I mean, it startled us. Okay, so first of all, I never thought I looked like Thomas Jefferson. I, you know, said the joke like, oh, yeah, we look just alike. But, uh, <laughs> no, I was like, I don't look like Jefferson. 
And then when the Smithsonian dressed me just like Jefferson, put us in the same background from his famous portrait from the 1800s, and then morphed us together at one time, like, what? It's like, what? I was like, I even had to take a double take, like, okay, I see some resemblance there. A little shocking, because I never saw it before, but when you put us side by side, and then when you put us like that, when they did the morphing thing, I was like, wow, that's kind of creepy. And y'all, if you haven't Googled it, Google it, it's out there. I know the Houston Chronicle had the picture run. Everybody had Everybody the picture. Everybody had that picture. It went viral. I was like, what? <laughs> I was so mad when people were not tagging me. I was like, that's me, tag me. I'm going viral and I'm not getting credit. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was so much the bone structure and the bridge of your nose that really um, just, you know, jumped out at us. And my dad yeah. was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Like, you can't pick your family. And sometimes those genes, they, they carry on. So, yeah. you know, it is what it is. Yeah. And Thomas Jefferson was married, wasn't he? So he was married to his wife, Martha. And when she passed away in childbirth, that's when Sally Hemings started watching over his children. And she came to Paris to uh, be the handsmaid for his children. And that's when they began to have children themselves. It was when she was over in Paris looking after his daughters. And so he wasn't married at the time of that relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, But... Hey, who knows what else he was doing while he was Yeah, there. well, we know the dynamic on the plantation. And, you know, that wasn't always the case. And we mentioned this in the book that many times the lady of the house, the wife of the master, was still very much in that home when these things were going on. And well, that yeah, but what up- going to say? A lot of times she couldn't say anything. And a lot of times there was what was called nighttime integration, where during the nighttime, everybody was integrating. Oh, yeah. Going on, yeah. But in the daytime, back to work, don't look at nobody, don't know, don't say nothing. And a lot of these people forget, the too, that those women were put in their places. Women didn't, white yes. women did not have rights. They didn't have a you know ability to speak up and say things and go against their husband. They had to stay in their place, too. Right. And a lot of people forget, even when Jefferson wrote those words, all men are created equal. He wasn't talking about women. No. And he wasn't talking about people that didn't own land or black people or anything. Right. So, and this is something you know, we mentioned in the book. You literally have to have some empathy for the woman of the house, for this very reason, what you've drawn out here, um, is that she had to just take it. And if you were going to take it out on somebody, who are you going to take it out on? Your husband or the slave? Right. So it's, it's pretty complicated. Mm-hmm. And if generation yeah. over generation over generation, there was this disdain from mm-hmm. grandmother to mother to child all the way, you know, until they're adults. How do you expect a nation that never healed from this to see black women. It's, mm. it's a trip. Oh, well, that's the problem. We, we talk about the healing, but we can't get to a place of healing until we get to a place of understanding until we get to a place where we can actually talk about it. So many times America wants us to act like slavery never happened and we should forget it. Right. We were enslaved longer than we've been out of slavery. So for us to say, oh, it was ancient history, forget about it, don't think about it. It's like, no, we have to talk about it. We have to get some type of apologies. We have to get some type of understanding and we'll get to a place of where we can actually talk about it. But if we act like it never happened, we can't talk about it. So we can never process it and get to a place of healing. And that's what needs to happen in order to us to reach that place. Absolutely. Y'all, we are one big family tree. Whether you like it or not, we are cousins. <laughs> hey, Adam and Eve. I mean, yes. Where they, what? Right. <laughs> and something granddaddy and grandpa did, you know, 
even if it's just a few generations back, that can cause all sorts of strife between people. Even if it's the Hatfields and the McCoys. It's one way to look at it. Yeah, that's one way to look at it. So what is one of your biggest lessons learned from this journey of meeting the people who are all beget from this union, holy or not? Yeah. Uh, I think that, you know, the the title of the book that I co-authored with Jane Feldman is Jefferson's Children, the Story of One American Family. And that we really are one American family. You know, my story happens to link back to a president, but it's not very different from many other families that have been touched by slavery and uh, impacted by it. And we're still being impacted by it today. But we are all one family in this country as well. So at some point we have to come together as one people and try to fight for those words that Jefferson said, all men are created equal. My co-author Jane always likes to say, you know, what does that mean? You know, and it's up to all of us to really fight for that today, to fight to make those words true today, because he didn't include everybody when he was alive and said those words. But we can today. But we have to fight for it. We have to stand up for each other and we have to do it as one family, as one people to get to a place of equality and understanding. Because you know, even King said, I'm probably going to mess it up, but a person that enslaved injustice to someone anywhere is injustice to people everywhere. Something like that. But it's so true. And we have to come to a point where it affects all of us. You know, the decisions people make and the impact of one person's decisions can infect us all and impact us all. And it can hit close to home for all of us. We saw that with George Floyd's situation, you know, and it's still happening today with other police officers and other people in other cities. It has to stop. Yeah. It has to end. And we all have to stand up and say it's wrong. I love that. It all starts with one person and the decision mm-hmm. you make. Um, it reminds me of that group of people who were around George Floyd, the mm-hmm. guy who was a martial arts expert, the woman who was the the um, um, EMS. She was off mm-hmm. duty. Even the little girl who was 14 years old at the time or 17 years old at the time that held up her device and recorded the entire thing. They all made decisions that changed the course of history. Even those police officers that were holding him down, they made a decision that impacted us and everybody and especially George Floyd for the rest of history. Shannon, it's been a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for having me. I always enjoy. Thank you so much. And you guys travel safely. Thanks. All right. Bye. Bye. What an awesome conversation with Shannon Lanier, television news journalist, morning show anchor, and uh, my friend. Of course, he's also the sixth great grandson of Thomas Jefferson and his slave, Sally Hemming. You know, the timing of this storytelling that Shannon did is so impeccable because one, of course, the book, and you can exclusively get that, uh, no thanks, the remix on Amazon exclusively, but also, you know what? I want to take a little time and dedicate it to my dearly departed great aunt, Nita. She was 94 years old, and yesterday I traveled 
with my family all the way to Arkansas and all the way back in the same day to honor her memory. She was amazing. She lived through segregation. She lived through desegregation. She lived through the civil rights movement, the first one. She lived through the election of the first black president. She saw it all. But it also serves as a reminder that we aren't so far removed from slavery. You know, my great aunt Nita wasn't a slave, but her parents were just removed from it. And my great-grandmother on my other side of the family, my dad's side of the family, and this is in the remix too, actually it's in the original version. Um, My great-grandmother, Ellis Kennedy, who lived to be close to 100 herself, if not over 100, we're not even sure. She was born on a plantation. That's my dad's grandmother. Now try to tell me that things that happened then don't impact us now. Find us online at theculturesoup.com, on Instagram and Twitter at The Culture Soup, and on Facebook at The Culture Soup Podcast. Until next week. The Culture Soup Podcast is a production of No Size Communication, LLC. The Culture Soup Podcast is a registered trademark of No Silos Communications, LLC.